Thank you. It is great to be with you. Uh, I, more and more, I realize how it's different in the Bible Belt where you live. Um, you come to, to church in shorts, it's freezing, and you've got the aircon on. Uh, it's just different here, but it's good to be with you here. Um, oh, thank you, Sia. By the way, I, I, I don't know who's got a, a granny flat, but you need to put him in it. Because otherwise, I'm going to steal him back to Florida Road. And you do not know how much of a gem you have here in your kids' church space and other space. Yeah, so you want to get him. But uh, I, I was thinking on the way here, I felt like God put something slightly different in my heart. And um, a few weeks ago, I got invited to Mozambique. So a friend of mine phoned me up. He said, I've got a, I've got a place in Mozambique. I'm fixing the deck there. Um, and I can bring some friends. Would you like to come? So I'm a pastor. We know how to say yes to free. And so off I went. I took a couple of mates, ragged mates with me. And um, we got there. But there was absolutely no signal in this part of Mozambique. So we were surfing and cutting. And we couldn't get hold of anyone. It was like heaven. But uh, at one stage, my one friend said, Flip, I need to get some signal. So he went and bought some data uh, on a Mozambique um, cell phone and, I mean, SIM card, and he, he put it in, and every now and again, we'd get signal. And so one of those every now and agains, my wife phones, and uh, he picks up the phone, and he answers it, hi, Ames, how are you doing? And then he says, says this, as you do, he says, do you know that your husband got into a bar fight? So she says, what do you mean he got into a bar fight? She says, no, no, he got into a bar fight, and we had to pull people off him. And he, he keeps going. He's embellishing this. And my wife's going, no way did he get into a bar fight. And uh, his name, which will remain anonymous, Tim Churchman, he just kept going. He just kept, he kept driving this in. Anyway, I was doing something, and I came up, and I grabbed the phone. I said, hi, babe. And as I said, hi, babe, we lost signal. <laughs> You ever noticed what happens to your mind when you get just enough information to make it dangerous? So anyway, she she goes into a little bit of chaos, and uh, I see the next day, when we get that next little spurt of signal, there are 14 missed calls (laughs) from her. I I get back home, and after the initial trauma, um, I said to her, I said, babe, because so, so, we've got this language, babe, tell me the story you made up in your mind after you heard that information. And, and the story went something like this. She said, um, she said that what she believed happened, or the story she made up, was that I bumped into a Zimbabwean ex-girlfriend. Now, I don't know why, whenever it's bad, my Zimbabwean history has to come to the table, but it does every time. This is a Zimbabwean ex-girlfriend. And uh, I went up, and, and the one thing Amy hates about me is that I'm very friendly. So if I see someone even I think I know, I want to go and say, hi, guy, girl, doesn't matter. I'm just, I, I like people. And so she, she said, and you, because you're so flipping friendly, went up and gave her a hug. And then the story in her mind, was that the, the guy she was with, boyfriend or husband, who'd had too many R&Rs, and if you don't know what those are, good for you, had too many R&Rs, came up to you and took a swing at you. And then she said, and actually, as the story went on in my head, I thought to myself, you deserve it. I'll tell you that whole story to punt that business breakfast because here's what I found in South Africa is that South Africa's never been in so much uncertainty. 
We're uncertain about the president's ability to lead the cabinet. We're uncertain about ESCOM. We're uncertain about farm murders. <coughs> We're uncertain about uh, everything about the economy. There's so much uncertainty in South Africa. And in the space of uncertainty, what I found South Africans do is they make up the worst possible story imaginable so that they can plan for the worst outcome imaginable. Everybody went, amen. <laughs> and, uh, and what I've realized is often that story is not true. And it doesn't have the goodness of God as a foundation. And so I've been on a mission for the last little while, knowing that a lot of people are taking their money uh, <clears throat> offshore and, and moving stuff out, especially amongst the white community. And I've been on a mission because I, I've thought to myself, if people don't create a new story or new narrative to the situation in South Africa, we're going to keep running. And the answer is not to run, it's to partner with God for solutions. And so I've been doing these business breakfasts mostly, and sorry, I know this is to the business community, but mostly because I wanted to expose the white business community to the black business community because they have funds and they have skills and if we can partner these two things you'll see you don't have to take all your money offshore and you can start to do something together so at this business breakfast we've got we've got the ceo of east coast radio whose understanding of the middle class world and kind of consumers in South Africa, and Durban especially, is off the charts. And Craig Coombe, who's CEO of an investment company um, called Multiply, they're going to be speaking about South Africa and where their opportunities are. And then I've invited previous speakers. So I've got Dumile, who used to head up Chamber of Commerce, and she's bringing her entire black team to come. And I've got another friend, Klantla Kambule, who, who's a multimillionaire who, who runs a whole bunch of businesses. He's coming with his entire team. <clears throat> and then the City Story guys, which are Christian businessmen, are bringing the, their team so that you guys can meet some people who have some access to funds and you can build your businesses. That was the biggest punt I can possibly give for any breakfast. If you do not come, there's something wrong. Okay, now I'm going to preach. Actually, I'm not. I'm going to tell another story. And I promise, I know this Bible belt, we will get to scriptures. But uh, Ames and I just bought a house. Now, it was miraculous on a whole bunch of levels. One is, um, is the, the number we got it for was, was miraculous. And, uh, you know, as pastors, you don't really like to talk about your house because then the next thing people expect is that you're going to be talking about your Learjet. But I'm not going to. Um, what, what was amazing about this house is... Um, I hadn't budgeted, because I'm so sharp, for the transfer fees. I know this hasn't ever happened to anyone else, but it did happen to me. And, uh, and what I'd done is I'd asked one of my friends, before I could access some cash, I asked him if I could borrow some money for a deposit to put it down so that I could secure the house, and then I'd come up with the money and give him his deposit back. But then the transfer fees came. God bless you, lawyers. And uh, I got those, and I, and I said, oh, no, in many different ways. And, uh, and then I thought, how are we going to get through this? And God had given me a promise. When we, when we built Florida, I felt like he gave me this promise through, through a couple of people and directly into my spirit that if you will build my house, so we bought and, and changed Florida Road building around, if you build my house, I will build yours. And so I thought to myself, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't have that additional cash. I'm, I've maxed out. And so I phoned this mate up and I said, I've got your deposit, which I can give back to you, but I've also got these transfer fees. So if I can pay interest on your deposit, I'll be able to pay that back in about six months' time. Would that be okay? 
And so he thinks about it for a little while and he says, that's fine, you, you're welcome to, to hold on to that. And then about four or five hours later, his secretary phones me and she says, I just want to know what to do with this additional 70K. And so I said to her, I have no idea what you're talking about. So I bump into my mate later that evening. I knew I was going to see him. I said, what's, what's going on? He said, oh, no, man. The Holy Spirit put on my heart to give you the deposit and then give you an additional 70 to cover those fees because God wants to bless you. <laughs> yeah, that is awesome. <laughs> what I realized is uh, I was so reluctant to tell this story the first time. But what I realized is if you do not boast about the things God does in your life, people won't expect it to happen in theirs. And a lot of where I'm going today is in what you expect to happen. Now, since we've bought that house, I've had this terrifying journey because my wife starts this conversation every now and again with, babe, do you want to see what I've pinned on Pinterest for the home? And you know why this is terrifying? Because... Because you know that your wife has done two things she's been dreaming about. One is she started dreaming about a wedding dress at about nine. Some of you have been married way too long. But anyway, she, she did that. But anytime she starts dreaming about turning a house into a home, you just know it's going to be expensive. I know that even looking at those pins is expensive. Just not even talking about it, just looking at them is going to be expensive. So I bring T's and C's and then we chat about the the pins. Because what's going on is Ames in her heart has been dying to turn this building into a home. You think about a home. There's, There's a big difference between a building and a home. A home has memories. I remember the first home we built, I mean bought and, and added on to. I, I remember she walked in and she knew exactly what we were going to do. And she said, take out this wall and this wall. And that man fixed all our electrics. And, and I, I, remember, I remember when, when she said, take out this wall, I thought to myself, I've got students in our church. It's like free labor. Let's bring them in. And I brought them in and they started knocking out walls. And I remember when there was, he'd knocked out one brick and there was another brick and, and the one guy who's quite strong took a big swing with a 14-pound hammer and went through this wall into the next wall, and and I remember that room. That was the room. It it bordered onto a room we added, and I remember remember in the morning praying in that room. The sun used to come into that room, and I remember my wife, when she was pregnant with our second, we were hammering in floorboards into that room, and her waters broke. I, I remember my little boy. I remember rolling a ball to him when he was probably nine, ten months, and having him kick the ball back to me. And I, I, I remember stuff because it was a home, and a home is filled with memories. And you need a home. You've got a building. It's not a home. You've been so faithful in this building. You've led it so well, this building. But you guys need a home. And so my prayer is that I actually said to Paul, I said, Paul, you guys have to buy that land. We'll work out, like every property developer does, we'll work out how to turn that thing into what you need it to be, but just secure it. You need a home. You see, people often think, ah, it's just a a church building. You know, in Florida Road, we bought that building, and uh, we, we decided we need to make this into a spiritual home. We're still on that journey. Do you know that about 500 people come through that building midweek at night? About 500 
In fact, I was trying to book a space the other day. I couldn't get a space because there are either three or four courses happening all the way through, through the week because it's a home. And what you expect of a home is that it will be busy with spiritual children. It's a home. You guys need a home. And so as I speak about this, I'm going to talk about two aspects. So I want to talk about raising the funds for the home, but I also want to talk about a value because you've all seen those things. I think Paul's talked about it. I've got one of these cards where it says, in this home. Where's, where's my card? Got a card? Card coming? That. How many of you have got these in your home? In this home, we laugh, we make mistakes, we say, I'm sorry. Any of you got this? You cowards. You wouldn't admit it. If I had one of these, I'd say, in this home, when you moan, you get chores. <laughs> I did this with my kids. They were getting really moany. This is, I'm just throwing this out there for you parents. And my kids were getting really moany. Any of you ever have that with your kids? They get really moany. And I was starting to shout. They're moaning, I'm shouting. So I decided I'm going I'm to solve this problem. And so I said to them, here's the deal. If you catch me shouting at you, you can give me a chore. And they were stoked. And they were so happy. So, and then I said, but if I catch you moaning, I'm going to give you a, call, a chore. Less stoked, but it's a deal. And then I said, I can't wait for you to moan. If you come to my house some days, you will see, you'll think this is child labor. You will see me with my feet up on a chair whilst they're taking my shoes and socks off because they've been moaning upstairs. It is beautiful. It is wonderful. Anyway, that's for free. Uh, In this home, what I pray for is cheerful giving, which I know sounds like an oxymoron because mostly it's guilty giving. You're going to go drive somewhere and there's going to be a car guard and you're going to get back after whatever you've done, you're going to, oh, yeah, guilty giving. And then you, you, if you've got kids, you're going to go to school and, and they're going to have another flipping cake sale. And, you, and you're going to go, oh, guilty giving. And, and then Granny Edna's birthday, who you only ever see once every six months, and you're going to go, oh, I've got to get a present, guilty giving. And I remember when I first started going to church, sitting in the back, and, and the tithe basket was coming around, and I thought to myself, what is the least possible amount I can give without being judged by the people in this row? It's guilty giving. It's cheerful giving. It's... It's far from our vocabulary, but I want to speak about this because it's a real thing. And if you can get it, it changes everything. So I'm going to convince you. And here's the good news. The tithe basket's already gone round, so it's not going to be another one. You can relax and go, let's see if he can prove this to me. So I'm going to dive into Scripture. I'm going to start in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1. And I know one of you has your Bible. So turn with me to 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1 to 5. It says this. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters... What God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia, they're being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. Just to show you, who feels like you have many troubles and you're very poor? Oh, look at you. We will make them a hand putting up honest church one day. Anyway, it keeps going. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own free will. They begged us. 
Hillis, they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. Here's my first point. Cheerful giving comes not from a full wallet, but from a full heart. Cheerful giving comes from a full heart, not a full wallet. They've done research across all spectrums, Christian, non-Christian, and and what consistently they find is that the more you earn, the less percentage-wise you give away, which doesn't really make sense, because you would think the more disposable income I have, the more I'm likely to give away, But, but from a biblical worldview, it makes complete sense, because we know this from the Bible, that those who are poor have been given faith. We know this. And so, I mean, it's logical. If you don't have money to fix problems, then you learn to pray. That's, that's how that works. It also makes sense, from a biblical point of view, that when you start to get a little bit of money, that it becomes a little harder to pray. Because if I've got a little bit of money, then I can fix a few problems. And as I get more and more money, then I can fix more and more problems with my money. Which is why Jesus gives that whole, don't, you can't serve two masters, you either love one or, or hate the other, or hold on to one and despise the other. Because here's what he's saying, you, you can't trust in the master. So remember, it's a first century Jewish person listening. What they would have heard of, they would have heard master, and they would have thought, the person who looks after me. And so in that context, you sometimes made yourself a bond servant, which meant you gave yourself to this family because you trusted that they'd put Netflix into your home and put your kids through school and, and everything would be sorted if I gave myself to this family. And so in that context, they would have gone, we trust our master for our future. So Jesus is going, you can't trust money for your future and God for your future. You're going to choose one. Okay, we all know where I'm going. So here's the thing. You and I, let's just put ourselves in the same camp. We, when the economy is doing a hiccup, or when things are not looking so good, we feel stressed because we've put our faith in the master of money. Okay, we're all in the same page, don't worry. I'm I'm part of this, so don't feel more guilty. Okay, so we're all in that space. You know what is unbelievably inspiring? When you meet a person, because meeting a person who's poor has abundant generosity and great joy. That is awesome, but it's just logical. It's the result of the gospel. Pure faith in God for his forgiveness of sins, the way he's blessed you, his Holy Spirit put into your heart, that he will provide for my needs. Pure faith will always produce generosity and joy. Okay, that makes sense. What's inspiring is when you meet a wealthy person who has abundant joy and is rich in generosity. That is inspiring. Because let's, let's just be honest. How many of you want to be really poor so that you can be full of joy and rich in generosity? Just, just. Okay, so we're all in the same camp. We all want to be a little richer, a little more generous. We all want to go in that trajectory. So because I, I have a lot of friends in, in city projects, I've, over the years, got to meet incredibly generous, wealthy business people who are full of joy and really 
overwhelming in their generosity. In fact, they're not just like they'll give the excess. These are people who will empty the coffers if God tells them to. I've seen them make massive generosity moves, faith steps. It's just unbelievable. So I started meeting these guys, and I thought to myself, I want what they've got. Because we all want to grow a little wealthier and a little more generous. And I went, whenever I see someone who's got something of the kingdom, I want to learn from them. So I started spending time with them, asking them questions to try and understand. And what I consistently found is they had one theme amongst all of them that just, it drove how they thought about money. And it comes from the very next chapter of of 2 Corinthians. It's 2 Corinthians 9. This principle just resonated through all of them. And I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians 9. It says this in verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves, and here's the word, a cheerful giver. You didn't say that cheerfully with me. (laughs) And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That's a lot of alls. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Here's my principle. Cheerful givers, all of the cheerful givers I know believe in sowing and reaping. Cheerful givers believe in sowing and reaping. So, this entire chapter, I'm going to unpack this chapter, but this entire scripture, remember, is about giving to a church that's in Jerusalem. So when they're talking about sowing, it's about giving it away for kingdom advancement. That's what's going on here. And Paul uses this farming analogy, not because he wants us to become farmers, especially in South Africa, that might not result in riches, but because he wants us to think like farmers. And farmers think a little differently. So he uses these two examples. He talks about if you sow generously, you'll reap generously. And then he says, God who supplies, what is it, 10 minutes. I've got 10 minutes left. I'll preach faster. Okay, God who supplies... Seed for the sower and bread to eat will richly supply seed for sowing and bread to eat. Okay, that's what he says. So I want you to think about it. It's not complicated. If you're a farmer and you want to increase how much you reap next year, all you do is you cut back on how much you're going to eat and you put it in the ground. That way, next year you know that you're going to reap more and so you can eat more and sow more. Logical. He uses that as an analogy to help us to think about money. Now, when I was first a Christian, I was discipled into believing two things. One, that God wanted you to be poor. And, uh, and actually, most people believe that. And it's why most people are guilty about money. It's why they give guiltily. But you you start to understand as you look at the scriptures that God doesn't want you to be poor. He wants you to be free. 
He, wants, he doesn't want you not to have money. He wants you to be free with your money. And so, in, in fact, if we're going to disciple nations, the only way we're going to be able to do that is if we can handle money, as long as money isn't handling us. So, so that's the first thing. The second thing that I was taught was that we give so that we will reap joy. So someone gave Sia a car, which is incredible. What I was taught was that the joy of giving to someone who doesn't have a car was your reward. Which would be, which is cool if that is your own. But if that is true, then what happened to the Macedonian church was evil. If God doesn't give you back money when you sow money, then the Macedonian church was set up for something evil because they were giving not out of their abundance. They were giving out of the food they needed to eat. And Paul celebrates them for giving out of that and says to them, God's going to give back to you. Understand? It was a bit of a mind blower because I used to just write off all the prosperity people. They're just evil, just want your money. It was a bit of a mind blower when I started to go, no, no, no. God wants you to sow in faith so that you will reap from faith and grace. If you think about money like most Christians think about it, it's basically communism. We just share out so that everyone's equal. If you think about it like that, then the way you approach God for money will be begging. But he doesn't, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, God does not respond to my begging. It's a bit like my kids. I do not respond to their begging. But when they ask in a different way, trusting me, then I respond. God responds not to need, but to faith. And so he calls us into a relationship with him where we sow in faith because we trust in his goodness and expect to reap. Let me tell you the problem with sowing and reaping. You don't know when those flipping potatoes are going to grow <laughs> or those macadamia nuts are going to drop. You like, you sow, sow, sow. When? So I, was, I had a friend come visit me a while ago, and he said to me, Ross, I feel like I have sown so much that I've hurt my business and I've hurt my family. I don't know if any of you have ever felt like that. You've just sown really generously, and you just feel like God isn't coming through. This doesn't work. This is just hurting. So that was the conversation I had with him. The problem was, at that time, I just sowed into the Florida Road building in a way that I felt like had hurt my family. So I said to him, Buddy, the best I can give you is a support group right now. I don't have the answers to this problem. And so I said, let's go and chat to one of my friends. So I've got this friend who you actually don't want to know if you're in business because he kind of his starting conversation with you is how much are you giving? And then he calls you to 40%. So don't meet him. But anyway, this guy, he sits opposite us. So we go and we tell him the story. And, and he starts laughing, which I thought was completely inappropriate. But he, he just starts laughing at us. And then he starts telling us story after story of how he'd sowed, sowed, sowed. And then it took ages, years, to the point where he thought he'd have to sell his house and sell his business because he couldn't pay off his loans, his debts. And then he told us story after story of reaping. And he said, when I, because he's only got a standard eight. He said, when I started this principle, God started giving me money and wisdom. Because I was dwarf and God gave me insight in, into how to do business. 
And then he said, and then God started coming through. And the more he sowed, the longer the breaks and the more he reaped. Which really sucks if you've been doing this for a while. But this is what you've got to know. When you get this into your heart that I believe that as I sow, I'll reap, it shifts everything. So I left that meeting and I went kite surfing. Because when I'm kite surfing, I can shout. I don't know if any of you have ever been in so much pain that all you, the best way to get out, it out of you is to shout. But you don't want your neighbors hearing, so, so, so you start kite surfing or going out into the sea. And, and so I would kite surf, and I started shouting, not at God, but to God, that he'd made promises to me that I was not seeing, but I was still believing him for. And as I started to shout that out, what I started to feel is not the anger of God, but the pleasure of God, because God loves a person who trusts in him, who will take him at his word and sow and expect to reap. You see, God applied this principle to his one and only son. He sowed him into this world at great cost. All his heart, he who was rich became poor for our poverty that we could be rich with his riches so that he could reap many sons and daughters back to himself. And God is waiting for a people who will sow in faith And as you sow in faith and you call out to God in faith, you will find hope start to rise. And you know what follows hope? Cheerfulness. And you'll find your giving shift like mine has from guilty giving to cheerful giving. Now, church, I think you should buy this land. I think it's a phenomenal piece of property. I think to not buy it, you'll kick yourself. And as olive tree, we'll come alongside and we'll, we'll put money in. But if God has been speaking to you about giving, then start to stretch your thinking around how much. Don't, don't be thinking, how much can I afford so that nobody judges me? Shift your thinking and let God stretch you until it's so uncomfortable that you feel like, ah, I'm going to snap. And when you get to that space, you're probably in the right space. And if God is not speaking to you at all and you're a new believer and this just sounds like he's trying to buy a Mercedes Benz, if if that's the case, the gospel's free. Just keep coming to church. Enjoy the love of God. It's going to be important to your heart. But if God is speaking to you and you want to make the most of this and you want to grow because maturity is expensive, if you want that, then let God take your thinking and do this to it and make you deeply uncomfortable and take you on a journey in faith. And my prayer is that next week, you will come with a smile on your face, with very much, (gasps) as you make a pledge, and we'll be able to get that land and move it forward. I'm going to close in prayer. Why don't you stand? Heavenly Father, above all, I ask that not a single person will leave here feeling guilty. I pray, Lord, instead, you'll deposit into their hearts big seeds of faith, and you begin to stretch their thinking, you begin to move them in faith to build a spiritual home that will bring many sons and daughters to you.
I thank you for a generous community, and I thank you, God, that your grace will flood this community and take them to the next level. In Jesus' name, amen.